Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks, and welcome today to our online internet church service. I'm so happy that you are here. I want to invite you, grab your Bible, and open up the Scriptures with me. And I've got a Scripture we've looked at before, but I tell you what, I got I got hit with the Holy Spirit on this Scripture, and um, this thing is now loaded with life in my heart, and I want to share it with you because this is something new that God is doing in the earth today, and I really want you to experience this in your life. So please take your Bibles, turn to one verse, Psalm 118, verse 25. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, we're going to receive the tithes and offerings. We're going to bring them into the storehouse of the Lord. But I want you to do something special. Uh, I want you to write something special on your giving, whether you're mailing it in or bringing in it, you send it in online. I want you to make a little special notation. And I, I'm going to reveal that to you in just a moment. But, but listen to this verse. We've covered this before, but I want to share something new with you. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray now, send prosperity. Praise the Lord. An interesting verse that has some unusual word usage. It's worded in a way that almost makes you, um, I don't know, uh, I don't want to say tangle your tongue, but it makes you spit it out of your mouth in a way that seems to not roll off the tongue very smoothly. Let me explain what I mean. Again, verse 25, save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Well, just from my natural usage of the English language, in my mind, this is how I think the verse should read. O Lord, I pray, send prosperity right now. But that's not what it says. It says, O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. And I'd always been puzzled as towards the way this sentence was put together in the Hebrew. And the translators did a beautiful job of translating it just the way that God wants it to be said. Pastor Stephen, I don't really notice any difference in what you're trying to point out. Oh, that's okay. I had read this verse many times myself. I never caught it either. There's, there, there is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to give us revelation on the Word of God. So I'm going to give you another verse that will help you to see what this one's talking about. Then I want to come right back to it. So uh, just keep your finger there. Don't, don't go away. We're going to come right back to Psalm 118. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay, so over the last week, last uh, Wednesday morning Bible study, last Sunday, we were basically talking about the importance of your faith being not faith based on yesterday or two days ago, or not faith based on the future because we're not there yet. So your faith, in order for it to be genuine biblical faith, has to be right now. And that's something maybe some of you are catching also for the first time here with this verse. In other words, when Hebrews chapter 11, 
gives us this beautiful definition of faith. Faith being the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It, it basically gives us the definition of faith, but technically it's giving us the definition of now faith. That's why it says, now faith is. Boom, there's the definition of what faith is, but really it's the definition of what now faith is. Faith has to be now. It's actually identified in Scripture as being called now faith. Woo! Okay, all right. The light's coming on. Okay, now watch this. Go back over the Psalm 118, drop down to verse 25. Okay, now watch this very carefully. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Well, Pastor Stephen, the way I see that verse, it looks like this is a prayer for a quick financial miracle. Yes, but it's more. Let's catch the more so that it's not just like a one-time financial miracle. Watch it again. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send. Okay, watch. What kind of faith does God look for? He looks for now faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is, and then you have the definition of what faith is. But it's actually a, a defining of now faith. Your faith has to be now. You've got to be in the now with your faith. Okay, Watch the prayer. Oh Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Do, do, do you get it? He's not saying, Lord, I'm praying that you send prosperity right now. He's no. In the context, this is a new this is a new type of prosperity that's being released in the body of Christ right now. There's an anointing on it. And David knew what this anointing was. But I think in some ways we've gone generations without seeing this anointing coming back into the church. And, and in many ways it's new, it's new to us, but this is something God's doing right now in the church. Watch it again. Oh Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Okay, it is a, it's a package, it's called now prosperity. Okay, so this is what the Holy Spirit gave me. That if you stay in the now faith zone, you will always be in faith. Okay, let me say it again. If you stay in the now faith zone, you will always be in faith. If you stay in the now prosperity zone, you will always be in prosperity. Woo! And God wants to send to you what He actually calls now prosperity. It's, it's right now. It's going on right now. Well, well, Pastor Stephen, I need some money, and I need it right now. Well, that, that can be incorporated into this verse, but if you stay in now prosperity, you'll always be in prosperity. And God wants to send into your life very quickly, very suddenly, now prosperity. And now prosperity hits you, and it's just like faith. You stay in faith. Well, Pastor Stephen, I, I used to be really in faith. I used to be a person of faith, and I kind of let that go. Well, then whatever that thing was that you were believing for, if you've dropped the ball on that, you fumbled that, you need to pick it back up and get back in faith. I'm not talking about salvation. You're already saved, unless you're watching me and you're an unbeliever. But if you're already a believer, which I know many of you are, if you're already a believer, I'm not talking about faith and salvation. You don't need faith for something you've already got. 
Okay, so, uh, you know, here's a cup of coffee. I, I'm not exerting faith for a, you know, a, a mocha latte. Why, Pastor Stephen? Use your faith. I don't need to. It's right there. You don't use your faith for some, something you already have. Uh, I might want a, another one some, some other time, but that's not relevant right now. I, I used my faith. Boom, there it is. Actually, somebody got it for me. Praise God. Amen. But you know what? It's the same thing with this now prosperity. You need to be in this zone for now prosperity, for it to rush into your life. Just like there is now faith, that's actually the way God views faith. It has to be in the now. God wants to send to you what He calls now prosperity. And that had always puzzled me the way that it was, that it was phrased. I pray sin now prosperity. I used to think, as I mentioned earlier, Lord, why didn't you just say, I, I pray sin prosperity right now? Because it's, it's like this package thing. It's an anointed thing, and it's called now prosperity. Now, I believe you need to ask for it. And I, today, when you honor the Lord, when you worship the Lord by bringing the tithes and offerings into the storehouse of God, whether you're mailing your check in or you're going online, and you're bringing it in online, I want you to make a little notation called Now Prosperity. And I'm going to pray with you in just a moment that this be released into your life, something that you have maybe never ever experienced where you're in, yes, you're in faith, but you're also in faith for Now Prosperity. And so it's not, it's not like you're coming out of it, and you don't have the prosperity anymore. You're staying in it, and God's going to send it to you, and you're going to, you're going to know what it is, and it's not going to lift. It's going to stay in your life. Praise God. So, if you're, if you're mailing in your tithes and offerings, please send them to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina. The zip code is 28. 654. There on your check, the bottom left hand corner where it says like notation or memo, just put now prosperity. Now prosperity, because that's going to come into your life. If you're bringing in the tithes and offerings online, please go to the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There's a link on the homepage called Tithes and Offerings Sow and Reap. And when you send in your tithes and offerings on that little notation gives you that little area to uh, just type something in. I want you to write now prosperity, now prosperity. Okay, so here's the prayer. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity, now prosperity. If you stay in the faith zone, you'll always be in faith. If you stay in the now prosperity zone, you will always be in prosperity. Woo! See, God doesn't want you like in this realm where you don't have enough, and then suddenly you have enough, but then you're back out of it again, and now you're, you know, now you're just, you know, struggling again. No, He wants you to be in overflow. Praise God. Lord, we give you praise today. Okay, I want this anointing to touch your life. It's called the anointing of now prosperity. So just lift your hands up. I want to pray over you. Heavenly Father, I pray for those that that honor you with their finances, that put you first in their life. Lord, I'm praying that this anointing mentioned here in Scripture called now prosperity, that it touched them this week, 
in the name of Jesus that as they are calling out to you and releasing their faith for now prosperity I pray that prosperity touch them this week and that this anointing remain in their life as they continue to believe you for the now prosperity anointing we thank you Father God they're going in the overflow we just thank you for it we give you praise Lord let the now prosperity anointing touch them right now in Jesus name now say I receive say I receive now prosperity Woo! praise the Lord you know what I've got to be honest with you if the scriptures were just radically different and it said pray that you may receive now poverty well we'd be sitting here today probably with um, some frowns on our faces but you know nevertheless pressing through trying to be good soldiers of the Lord uh, endeavoring to cry out to God for now poverty but thank God thank God that the God that we serve uh, you know he's wealthy he's wealthy praise God and he wants us to be blessed he wants us to be in abundance so that we can be a blessing to others hallelujah and he actually gives us permission and divine directive to ask him for now prosperity wow wow who wouldn't want to serve a God like this Woo! praise the Lord a God that's so good you can say God send now prosperity <laughs> and God says that's just what I'm wanting to hear praise the Lord amen glory to God you know there are those with pure hearts and they want increase so that the tithe will be larger they want increase so that the offerings can be larger they want increase they want to be blessed more so that they can be a greater blessing so that we can do things like Jesus said a, a city that is set up on a hill cannot be hidden but I tell you what we're supposed to be salt and light and we're going to use our financial resources that God is bringing into our lives to lift up the name of Jesus and to give glory to the Lord and that people can look at us and say God's good to you the God that you serve is good to you praise the Lord and which it should make them righteously envious it should make them wonder what's going on in that person's life wow they're they're just going up 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 they're just blessed praise God oh that'll get the attention of a Muslim yes that'll get the attention of a Buddhist hallelujah I mean you don't see any uh, statue uh, statues of a skinny Buddha all the Buddha statues I've ever seen are you know some fat Buddha why that that represents prosperity who really who really would want to worship a God of poverty because there's no strength in that it takes it takes strength to go upwards in a world that is subject to decay and deterioration hallelujah but when you work the kingdom principles God lifts you up and you go high with the Lord and Isaiah chapter 58 God says he'll cause you the ride on the high places of the earth I see you seated high with the Lord and I see you ascending up Mount Zion bless 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 and blessing others as you go hallelujah now prosperity is rushing into your life you know what this is what I'm getting from the Lord right now there there is an angel called now prosperity yes there is there is an angel with many other angels 
that work beneath him. But there's a captain angel called Now Prosperity, and they're moving, taking this new anointing to the body of Christ all around the world. And it's beginning to touch people all around the world. And prosperity is just rushing in. And it's staying. Why? Because it's, it's now. It's now. My friends, when the Holy Spirit moves, you move with the Spirit. And that's what Israel had to do. You had to follow the, the cloud by day. Why? That's air conditioning. Remember, you're out in the desert, and it gets 140 degrees. Sure, it's nice when you're underneath that cloud, because you're getting buffer and protection, and you're getting cooling. So you follow the cloud by day, you follow the fire by night. The fire at night is also protection. It's protection. Uh, it, it's, nobody wants to mess with the fire. And so you have that, that fire over you also, all around you, uh, providing protection. Praise God. But the cloud moves. The, the, the pillar of fire moves. So that's following the Holy Spirit's leading. And if you don't do that, you could find yourself in a very dry place. My friends, we're going to stay in the moisture of the Holy Spirit, in the prosperity of God. And God's moving with a new prosperity anointing. Now prosperity. You're blessed. Father, bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's talk today about the Lord preparing us through the Holy Spirit for engaging uh, the enemy, engaging spiritual warfare, and also the work of the Spirit within our hearts. And you know, the Holy Spirit, He really does keep us fresh. When you look past church history. You see the great moves of God, but you also see in many ways they were, they were just moves, and maybe it lasted for 50 years. Uh, most revivals only last about three years, and then they begin to fade out, and, and that's okay. I, I think in some ways revivals are very demanding. You know, if you're running meetings every night for, you know, five or six hours, and it's not unusual in revival or outpouring of the Spirit, you know, for meetings to go on at four o'clock in the morning, and I've been in meetings that just, they just, you know, the clock doesn't even exist anymore. And nobody's even thinking about, I got to get up in the morning, go to work. It's just like you're so charged with God's power and anointing. It doesn't matter if you fall asleep at three or four, you get back home from a, a, a blowout meeting, just wake up and you just go. And then you're right back in the meeting again later that the next evening. It's just, it's just like a supernatural sustaining type thing. Praise God. Hallelujah. But nevertheless, there's moves. There's been great outpourings of the Spirit. You know, I think about uh, John Wesley, the Methodist Church, and there was a time when that was it. I mean, God was all over the Methodist, and, and the, you know, John Wesley was just like, you know, God's man for that time. And God was working through many other people as well, but there was a strong anointing on that man. But today, but today, you know, where, where's the moving of the Spirit in the Methodist Church? What happened? The cloud moved. And that's what happens with a lot of denominations. They camp. They camp on what? A previous movement. And what happens is the cloud keeps moving, and if they don't move it, they don't, they don't move with it and go with it, then they become dry. And that's really what uh, revival is. It's like uh, revival, the tide comes in. Rising tide lifts all boats. But when the tide goes back out, or when the revival begins to wane or begins to fade out, then, you know, the tide goes out, and now you see, um, you know, all the, all the stuff, how can I say, all the shellfish, all the unclean things out on the beach, the yucky stuff that normally you don't see when the tide's high. 
Uh, so that's what it's like. But you, you want to keep on moving with the Lord. You want to you want to keep your walk with God fresh. And so there's many um, uh, denominations, and of course denominations do a good job. Uh, you know, uh, spirit-filled denominations, evangelical denominations, uh, th- they all have their place. But you you want to be on the front lines of what God's doing. You want to be on the edge of what God is releasing into the earth. Woo! Thank you, Lord Jesus. And that's, that's where God's moving the strongest at. That's where you need to be. And we want to talk about these things today. Now, turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 20. We have some guidelines for those that are going into battle. Uh, often this would be those going into the battle for the first time. So, you know, these people need morale boosting. They, they're going to need encouragement. They're going to need, they're going to need some help. And there are instructions given uh, for these situations. Remember, what is the Bible? What is, what is this book? Well, Pastor Stephen, it's God's Word. Yes, it is. What is it mainly comprised of? It is a book of instructions. Oh, no, 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 Pastor Stephen, this is God's love letter from, from Himself to mankind. Yep, it's a love letter. I agree with that, and it's full of instructions. That's primarily what the Bible is. It's a book of instructions. Do this, it's going to go really good for you. If you do this wrong thing, it's going to go really hard for you. So it's instructions, instructions, and when we follow uh, the instructions and really take heed to them, really dig into what God's saying, then that's when you really begin to just, everything starts working right in your life. Praise God. And so we're going to take a look at this day when it comes to engaging uh, what we would call spiritual warfare. Let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we go into Your Word, we ask that Your anointed Word, the sword of the Spirit, would come into our hearts and do its work, do its work of circumcision, do its work of cleaning, do its work of washing our mind. We thank You that Your Word is a form of water. And so, O God, we thank You that Your Word is also bread. So let the bread be broken today. Let us eat it and be filled with the nourishment from heaven that we need in Jesus' name. We all agree and say, Amen. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1. When you go out to battle against your enemies, and see horses and chariots, and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. How does the enemy try to work against you? Through your five physical senses. He's going to try to cause you to get into the flesh, from the perspective of moving out of faith, getting over here, and in the, when I say get in the flesh, I'm talking about you're using your eyes to gauge the situation. And so many of these Israelites, having never faced war, they're actually seeing armies, you know, on the other side, getting ready to come against them, and they're seeing horses and, you know, sharp swords and spears and uh, uh, chariots and stuff like that. And, uh, and so from a physical perspective, the enemy tries to taunt, the enemy tries to intimidate, and so you can't, you can't judge this thing by what you're seeing with your eyes. Because if you see with your eyes, you can get out of faith real quick, especially if you're outnumbered. And that was so often the case with the nation of Israel, almost every single time outnumbered by the enemy, sometimes greatly outnumbered, and it would always in the natural 
uh, look either very lopsided, in other words, odds are stacked against us, or sometimes just massively uh, outmanned. But nevertheless, you, you can't judge, you can't just look at all that stuff. You're going to have to hear from the Lord and walk close to the Lord. Okay, for the Lord your God is with you. Well, you really have to take that to heart. The Lord your God is with you. It's easy, I think, sometimes to throw those statements out there. Be a good courage, brother. The Lord's with you. Well, well it, uh, it, it sure doesn't feel like it. Again, that's where the battle is. The main battle is what the Apostle Paul, when writing to his spiritual son Timothy, described as being the fight of faith. You could have a spiritual battle, you could have a natural battle, but either way, whatever's taking place in this form of warfare, it really comes down to a fight of faith, where you and your heart have to believe, and you have to really know, God is with you, and God can't lose. So if God is with you, and you're walking close to the Lord, and you're in this thing together, you are going to win. Woo, praise the Lord. And that's very, that's very comforting, that's very reassuring, and that's something that you always need to meditate on, and know that God is with you. It says, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Verse 2, so it shall be, when you are on the verge of battle, that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. You got to get the right person in front of the people. This is not this is not the time to get somebody out there who's like a um, a shaky leader, who himself uh, is you know full of fear and doubt and worry. No, no, no. If, if that's the, if that's the situation, well, we just don't need to be having any kind of a pep talk at all because that's not a pep talk. That's just going to make it worse for those that are already struggling in their faith. So get the right person out there. Verse three, and he shall say to them. Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. My friends, don't ever let yourself go into despair. Well, Pastor Stephen, sometimes I just feel like I just need to let it all go. Just, just let it all, you know, no, no, don't. Don't ever let yourself lose composure. Well, nobody's around, Pastor Stephen, it doesn't really matter. What do you mean nobody's around? The Lord's around. Your angels are watching you. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying they're watching you all the time. They're not watching you if you use the restroom. They're not watching you if you're, you know, taking a bath or something like that. You know, they're, they're not into that. You know what I'm saying? But I am saying they're always there. They may be turned around looking the other way, but your angels are always around you. You don't need to have some kind of a meltdown. Oh, God, huh? Ah, you know, we're all going to die. You don't want ever to get yourself over into despair. Well, Pastor Stephen, what should I do? In, in the midst of trials, you should rejoice. Well, I don't feel like doing that. Well, that's why it is a fight of faith. What is the fight? To stay in faith and to believe and trust God instead of getting over here on this unstable platform called your feelings. And your feelings are based upon what you see. They're based upon what you hear. That's why it's very, very careful who's talking to you and who's feeding you with, with words, and it has to be the right words. Praise the Lord. Lord Jesus, we give you praise today. Do not let your heart faint, do not be afraid, and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. 
Okay, so what's going on right here? What is the priest doing? He's pumping the children of Israel full of faith. How, how is he doing it? What is the mechanism of doing this? Does he have a big syringe that's called a faith syringe and just stick it into each person and say, here it comes, brother, take it. Whoosh. No, he's <laughs> not doing that. He is filling them full of faith with the right words. And right words create an atmosphere of faith. Wrong words, words of doubt, words of uncertainty, uh, you know, it will create an atmosphere of, uh, of fear. And fear can be contagious. Also, faith can be contagious in a very positive way. So he has to go out there prepared. He has to be full of faith in the order to minister that word full of faith. That's why you as a Christian, don't let yourself ever go into despair. Why? Because you might have a phone call within the next five minutes, and there is somebody who's about ready to commit suicide. There's somebody who's about ready to do something really foolish, and they're going to call you, and they can't call you when you are also in a place of where you think you're about to fall apart. You cannot do stuff like that. Praise God. You must be strong. You must be strong for yourself, and you must be strong for others. Praise God. Hallelujah. And you, you, you may feel these things come against you, the, the fiery darts of the enemy, but you keep up the mighty shield of faith, and you hold your composure in the Lord. One time I was in I can't remember the store. It was a the store is very very busy. It's a store where you shop at, um, like a, a TJ Maxx or a Marshalls or something like that. And uh, you know it's kind of like where they have all of these home goods that are sold at discounted prices. Well, I was in one of these stores. Um, I don't know. This was maybe like um, like eight years ago, I think, eight or nine years ago. And I was there with my wife and my daughter. And so. Um, we were in we were in the checkout line and the line was real long just kind of zigged and zagged around just like that it was just super busy people all over the place but um you know we were we were living in north carolina but we'd gone out to um california to do some meetings so we had a little time a little free time we're in the store and we're buying a few things and my daughter you know, at that time, she was, uh, you know, maybe like eight years old or something like that, and she really wanted something. I can't remember what it was, but she really wanted something, and um, her mother said no, and then uh, I said no, and but she didn't give up. She just kept on asking and asking, and, and Kelly said no, and then I said no, and this, she just kept on going, and for whatever reason, I got, I got a little bit perturbed. I was starting to get bothered. It was starting to aggravate me, and um, uh, I, I don't know, it probably shouldn't have aggra aggravated me, but I was getting to a point where I felt like I was going to lose my cool. But I just, I had that little moment where I could make a decision. I could kind of like get upset with her in the store and say, look, I told you, and blah, blah, blah. Or I could just chill out, relax, realize she's only really asking for something that costs $3.00 but still tell her no in a nice way and, and just kind of like disarm the situation. Well, I decided to go with the right thing. And just I just began to rejoice. 
I just said, Lord, I just praise you. And I said, Abigail, I said, you can't have that. I said, um, it's okay. You'll forget about it after a few hours anyhow. <laughs> Everything will be just fine. And I got all happy. I just, I, just, I just began to get happy in the Lord. Lord, I just praise you. I thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you that I could be out here shopping. Thank you for the meetings we've been having. And I, I just began to praise the Lord for about two or three minutes. And then suddenly, a lady in line standing on the other side, you know, kind of zigzag back and forth. Uh, there was a lady on the barrier over on the other side. She got behind line and others. Uh, suddenly we kind of going like this, working our way to the, towards the checkout aisle. And so we go like this and she gets right next to me over, uh, over across the other side. And she looks at me and she says, are you Stephen Brooks? I said, yes. <gasps> she said, I've read your book working with angels and she actually pulled it out of her purse and without opening it began to quote to me every single chapter in the book in order and it began to recall and retell stories out of my book and she's just like like your your ministry has changed my life and she just I mean this just went on this uh, you know, this wonderful moment of her just thanking uh, the Lord for how my ministry had touched her life and uh, I thought, well, that's really cool. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. And I'm thinking, now while she's talking, I'm thinking, Lord, what would have happened if this person who out of all the ministers in the world, the one that she esteemed in a way with such great esteem and had such high regard for, what would have happened if she having met me in person? What would have happened if it had been a total flop because I'm red-faced, veins bulging, upset, and, you know, agitated. What would have happened? It would have, it would have been a real letdown for her. She probably would have thought, wow, I guess he doesn't quite measure up to what he, uh, to what he writes. I guess he doesn't really practice what he preaches. Not that we have to be perfect, but we should endeavor to be perfect. Maybe we, maybe we should, you know, when I say we shouldn't have to be perfect, the Lord says be perfect. So we should be perfect. I have to correct myself. Jesus said be, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. That, that also in the Greek means mature. It means mature. It doesn't mean we're going to be sinless. But you know what? I'm just glad that I decided to hold my composure. I'm glad that I decided in, in a situation to not lose it. Because let me tell you, you may not think people are watching. People are watching. You may not think people know, but they know, especially if you live in an apartment when walls are so thin. Why do they never put insulation in apartments? You could hear people talking. We used to live in an apartment, and we could literally hear the person in the next room as they lay in bed and re read their book, their, their bedroom backed up right next to our living room, and we could hear them in bed reading their book. Wow. I, we, we told, we told the, the person next to us, hey, um, we heard you reading your book last night. Just want you to know we hear every single thing you're doing. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. But my friends, you need to be like that priest that God can send to others with the word of faith to build up others when their knees are knocking together and they're just about ready. Just, just one negative word can send them just all into a panic mode. You need to be the person that can be the super glue that holds people together and gets them stabilized back on the word of God. Praise God. Say yes. Hallelujah. 
Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. Do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is He who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Then the officers, okay, this is very interesting. Then the officers shall speak to the people, saying, What man is there who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man dedicate it. Oh, don't you know that those new homeowners, whoo, oh, they're like, hey, hey, uh, General, uh, that's me. Uh, I was really willing to fight. I sharpened up my sword, and uh, I'm sorry to leave. And the rest of you guys, I hope you all don't get killed and massacred, but um, he just told me I could leave. Goodbye. He goes back to his house. But you know what? There's a different kind of person who is a person of faith, who walks close with God, who says, look, I, yeah, I just, I just built a new house. I haven't even dedicated it yet. Haven't even crossed the threshold yet. Haven't even anointed it with oil yet. Haven't even put my mezuzah on it yet. You know, my little uh, Jewish decoration thing on it yet. Haven't done any of that yet. And you know what? I don't care. I want to go to war. I want to fight. I, I want to fight for this nation. I want, to, I want to stand with the people of God. So who cares if I die? Who cares about my house? After all, if you die in battle and you're dead, the last thing you're going to be thinking about is your house. You're gone. Praise the Lord. You've crossed over to the other side. But you know what? There were those that were just like, oh, that, that's my out. Oh, I'm out of here. Uh, see ya. Goodbye, fellas. Hope you don't die. I'm going back to my brand new house. And there is an intentional thinning out. Wow. God wants people in His army who are people of faith. God wants people who are like David who ran to face Goliath. I, he ran towards them. You'd have, you, you'd have to think these soldiers, when, they, when these other soldiers, Israelis, saw David not only go out and confront Goliath, but they saw him running towards the giant. They, they were probably like, we've never seen anything like this before. And stuff like that infuses people with faith, with courage. You know, I like, um, uh, I'm trying to think of his name right now, P Peter Daniels. He's the um, multi-billionaire Christian businessman, a very godly man, a very righteous man, uh, Dr. Peter Daniels. But he, he, he was raised with a very impoverished background. And as a, as a full-grown man, he was a bricklayer making uh, the, most, the lowest level of income that you can make. And he was illiterate. He could not read. I don't think he could, he could write. He was on the very bottom of society. But he got saved when Billy Graham came to Australia and preached the gospel. And he got saved in one of those meetings. And the Spirit of God touched him and put a desire in him for knowledge. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he began to study. He began to read. He taught himself how to read, taught himself how to write. And he read over 6,000 biographies of the people throughout history, modern day and past history, who were people who were noted for courage and for standing strong in the midst of great trials and the midst of great challenges, people who refused to quit and people who would just, 
fight with the greatest tenacity. He read biography after biography after biography. He read over 6,000 biographies, and today he's considered one of the greatest speakers in the world. At one point, he was actually considered the number one motivational speaker in the world. See, what you listen to, what you put into yourself, if it's courage, if it's faith, those things will affect you. But if you just put a bunch of, uh, you know, like evening news, morning news, and negative news, and newspapers, and all that stuff, that really will affect your spirit. And other times of great crisis, that stuff will ooze out of you. And I've even, I've, I've seen leaders of large companies, when they've had unexpected crisis situations, I've seen leaders behind the scenes, it almost look like they're about ready to crack. Why? They, they did not have courage to stand up when times of crisis came. I like, uh, I like Churchill, the leader of, uh, of Great Britain, when everybody else in Europe, all the other li the leaders were backing down to Hitler. And even the leaders of Parliament of England said, look, we just need to capitulate and give in to this guy. He's unbeatable. And Churchill said, no, we're going to fight. We're going to fight. and We're never going to quit. We're never going to give up. And so you, you, you have to have somebody like that who is molded by the Lord with character of courage to stand and fight when the enemy brings warfare against you. And when the, even in the natural, you have to be a person of courage. Praise the Lord. That's what God is looking for. So there is an exemption for those that are just don't have the fighting spirit. Look, it's just better that you go home because you're not into it anyhow. And you're not going to help us. You're only going to hinder us. And so if you want to go back to your house, go back to your house. And you can be sure that many of them did. Verse 6, also, what man is there who has planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man eat of it. Oh, here goes another group. Well, uh, yes, uh, uh, Mr. General Priest, uh, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, as a matter of fact, my harvest is just about ready. And, uh, you know, those are going to be some really good grapes. Okay, go home, go back home and enjoy your grapes. Because we know battle's not on your mind. All, the only thing on your mind is your grapes and your own life. Okay, so go back, go back home. It's okay. So, you know what? Again, there's the soldier that there is the person of faith that says, you know what? I've got a vineyard also. I've got a new house. I've never dedicated it. I've also got a vineyard. I've never eaten the grapes. And you know what? I'm not interested in the grapes. I, I, I thank God for the grapes, but I'm after kingdom business. I'm after kingdom business, and God will preserve my grapes, or somebody else can eat them. I don't care. I'm going into this battle, and I'm going to be on the Lord's army. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to put the Lord first. Wow. You know what? When you seek First, the Lord and His kingdom, His kingdom protocol, His kingdom business. He will add all of these other things to you that the unbelievers crave and fight to get. They cheat. They lie. They steal. They'll do anything to get it. But if you serve the Lord and put Him first, God will start adding those things to your life with no strain. Woo! Hallelujah. And the Lord, He makes rich and He adds no sorrow with it peaceful sleep, clear conscience, good health. Praise God, because He adds no sorrow with it. 
That also means there's preservation of your health. Because even if you have wealth and you don't have health, you can't even enjoy your wealth. So he gives the, the ability to be made rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. So that means you also have health. Praise God. Lord Jesus, we thank you. So you want to have the spirit of faith. You want to be on the front lines with the Lord. And what man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man marry her. Well, there's still the man that says, look, yes, I'm betrothed, but you know what? I'm a man of faith. I'm going in the battle. I'm not going to die. And you just tell, you tell your beloved, hey, look, we haven't had our time yet, but you know what? Just uh, hold everything. I'll be back. The sooner we go off to war and we defeat these guys, the sooner I'll be back, and then we'll pick it right back up where we left off at. We'll get the marriage done. We'll make the wedding official, and then we'll move forward. Then we'll have some grapes. Then we'll move into the house. But right now, there's a battle. Praise God. And I'm standing in faith, and I'm not leaving. Oh, but Brother Brooks, we're outnumbered, and you're getting it out. Why not just step out? Because this is God's work. If we're not going to do it, who is? Praise God. There's so much to do. Jesus said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers. Laborers. People that have God's interest on their mind. And yes, we all have our own interests. We all have our own things that we would like and things that we're believing God for. But we're willing to say, God, um, we're going We're going to focus you, you first. And then, Lord, we'll just, you know, you'll add as we go. It'll all be good. Praise God. It's interesting. Jesus said, if you try to keep your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life, talking about your self-life, wanting to do your own thing, if you lose, you, if you lose your life, you'll find it. What's that? What is it? You'll find the real life, which is in Him. Which includes the unveiling of some things, probably, that you didn't even know that God had planned for you. Woo! You really, you really need to be, to be the believer that's aiming for the Holy of Holies. Let me see if I can explain this. The tabernacle of Moses, sometimes called the tabernacle or the tent in the wilderness, is a type, is a shadow, the substance being the New Testament experience in Christ. But the tabernacle of Moses, the tent in the wilderness, was a symbol of the spiritual journey, the spiritual walk of the New Testament believer. You had the outer court, which is where most people were at. Everybody could come into the outer court under certain conditions. You know, you couldn't come in if you had violated one of the Mosaic laws or something like that. But, you know, get that fixed up. You're back in good, good standing. Okay, you could be in the outer court. So you have the outer court. Then you have the smaller structure of the holy place. And you had various uh, pieces of furniture in the holy place, table of showbread, uh, altar of incense. You had the golden lampstand, so forth. But then you had the most holy place, also called the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was at. The Ark of the Covenant being made out of Shittim wood, wood representing the, the humanity of Jesus, but the Ark was overlaid with pure gold, representing the divinity of Jesus, God, man, 
all in one, and the mercy seat covering that. Okay, so here's the thing. In the, in the Old Testament, very accurate measurements, measuring by cubit, which was from the elbow to the end of the, the middle finger, usually about 18 inches. In the Old Testament, the boundaries of the tabernacle were very well defined. And you had the measurements of the outer court, then you had the measurements of the holy place, then you had the exact dimension and measurements of the most holy place, all mentioned in Scripture. Here's what's fascinating. The outer court, which is where most people gathered, which is where most believers are at in their spiritual journey, the outer court takes up let me see here, let me get my math straight, takes up 94%. In other words, if you look at the excuse me, dimensions, outer court, holy place, most holy, and you have 100% of the whole area with the cubic feet, well, 94% of it, of that area, is really, it's all going to be what we would call the outer court. Now, 4% is the area of footage that makes up the holy place. So, 96%, and it's still the same way today, excuse me, 94%, 94% of most believers live in the outer court. Saved, love the Lord, but they've got a lot of their own interest on their heart. And if there's a job to do, if there's a battle to fight, uh, they're not really much, too much into that. They've got all kinds of other things to do. Well, we have a need at the church. We have, we have work to do at the church. Uh, Pastor Stephen, I'd love to help you, but you know what? I've just, uh, I've just uh, dedicated a house, and I need to go attend to the house dedication and get all that in order. Okay. Uh, Pastor Stephen, I have a vineyard, and you know, uh, I'd really like to go uh, eat some grapes. Okay, and on and on it goes. So a lot of people, they have their own thing that they're into. But the outer court is where the majority of the believing people are at. Saved, love God on their way to heaven, but they're spending the majority of their entire Christian journey in the outer court. Holy place is an area that very few get into. Only 4% of the footage the dimensions of the tabernacle system, only 4% of the square footage is made up with the holy place. That's not very much. So only about 4% of believers ever get into a walk with the Lord where they come into a place of that kind of an intimacy. We could even say that, that kind of a place of actually knowing who God is, what He's like, His ways, he, how He works, having a good understanding of the heart of God. Very few get into that. But fewer still, although it's open to whoever will, fewer still actually go into a place with the Lord where they go into the most holy, the holiest of all, the holy of holies. And that was a very, very small area. And it only made up 2% of the entire percentage of the dimension of the tabernacle system. And it's the same way today. A lot of people never get into that place. They just have so many other things going on. They get so busy with this and that. Not that what they're busy with is anything wrong, 
but a lot of times they just have no heart for battle they have no heart for really locking in on faith and just pressing into the heart of God but the Lord said if you seek me with all of your heart you will find me but a lot of people they just don't want to expend that energy that faith effort and they just cruise they're saved they're happy glad they're going to go to heaven and they will but they never really have that spirit of Joshua and Caleb that are not only ready to fight they're, they're, they said we'll go right now and take the mountain we'll go right now and the other ten spies and the other people of Israel were so upset with them they're about ready to stone them but I like that spirit where Caleb said let's not only go up and take it because God said it's ours let's go right now see that's now faith your faith has to be in the now and to have a relationship with God where that's real you've got to be in the Holy of Holies you're going to have to you're going to have to find your place where you just say God I'm pressing in and I've got all kinds of distractions but I'm going to prioritize and God I'm going after you with all my heart and Lord you'll help me with these other things but Lord I'm going in I'm going to become this person of faith I'm going to become this person of courage where I can be the priest that goes out and speaks to a large multitude of people and can lift an entire multitude and it's one of the most amazing things I I remember seeing one minister speak to a crowd in a country where the people were so suppressed with poverty and sickness and disease that even in this giant crowd where there were many unbelievers who were going to be healed yet there were many many believers but even for the believers life was tough they didn't really have much knowledge of the word they're in hard poverty most of them were sick and they're living under like a spirit of hopelessness and I watched as this man of God spoke with such words of love and compassion to these people that I could see the people being lifted you could see their faces change you could see faith coming to them you could see hope coming to them and they went from being a people of hopelessness to within about 30 or 40 minutes of being lifted to a place like it's turnaround time and we're never going back to that again we are we are coming into our our walk with the Lord and it what, what happened this one man talking to the multitudes this one priest going before Israel saying do not fear God is with us and just pumping the people full of faith God's got his people that'll do it today hallelujah he wants to make you that type of person glory glory to God hallelujah say yes fighting the good fight of faith look I, I know what it's like to have been a champion of the outer court I was right there with the 94 percent happy and and, and I, I remember when I was in high school you know I was saved I, I, I had a real valid salvation experience I loved the Lord I, God had touched my heart and I, I could even in some ways sense that God had a purpose for me in ministry it seemed beyond me I couldn't really comprehend it but I somehow knew that was there I was already getting I, I, I wouldn't call it prophecy because in our, in our denomination we didn't believe in prophecy but I remember my pastor even said to me he said Stephen uh, have you ever thought about being a preacher I mean so people could pick up on something that was on my life that was a calling from God but I even remember then 
that I was just, I was happy to be in the outer court. I didn't even know anything about the holy place, and I certainly didn't know anything about the holy of holies, supernatural encounters with, with the Lord, you know, uh, deep walk with God, a walk of faith, actually believing God. I, I had no clue that you could go into a realm like that. So I was a senior in high school, and um, I remember that, uh, you know, as a group of seniors, they were, they were going to take us to uh, Six Flags, the amusement park. And so, you know, this was when I lived in Texas, and so we didn't have Disneyland or Disney World, we had Six Flags. Some of you know what I'm talking about, a lot of you do. So anyhow, we're going to go to Six Flags. And I was so excited, because I hardly ever got out of town. We hardly ever went anywhere, and so for me to go with my friends, and not, not with my parents, or not with even my brothers, but to go with my friends, to go on an overnight trip to Six Flags, whoo, I just knew this was going to be fun, because I could go wild and go crazy, and um, you know, act goofy and silly, and do all that stuff, and so I was so excited about Six Flags, that I even prayed to the Lord, I remember this, this goofy prayer, I had even prayed to the Lord, Lord, I know that the preacher said that there's something called the rapture, and that Jesus is going to come back, and that He could come back at any time, and I, I said, Heavenly Father, please don't let Jesus come back before Six Flags, <laughs> because I know that I know that somehow going off to heaven could never top going to Six Flags, so God, please don't come back before Six Flags. Father, don't send Jesus back before, uh, before I get back from Six Flags. That was my men mentality. Yeah, yes, saved. I love the Lord, born again, but to me, to me, in my also, you know, teenage mentality, I actually thought that Six Flags topped God. I thought, I thought Six Flags topped heaven. <laughs> oh, you know that's outer court. Whoo, that's in the very back of the outer court. But you know, things began to change, and I would have to say, it began to change when I went off to college, and I met one guy that prayed. And look, look, I was at a Christian university, probably about 4,000 students went to this university, and out of this entire university of so-called Christian kids, I think I only met three people that actually had a prayer life. I, I, I'm, I'm sure that maybe there probably were some others, maybe I didn't meet them, but I met a lot of people. I knew a lot of people on campus, but out of all the people the Lord somehow introduced me to the most, I, I, I would probably say the most spiritual person on campus. And uh, he was, he was, um, he was one year older than me, one grade higher than me. And this guy knew how to pray. I met him when I was a sophomore, so he must have been a junior. He was a Bible major. But just because he was a Bible major, you know, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't, how can I say, um, you know, a lot of times when young men, young women go off to seminary, they get stripped of um, anointing, and all they get put into them is just a bunch of religious fluff, um, a bunch of like ecclesiastical baloney. So anyhow, they, you know, he wasn't like that. He really, really loved the Lord, and he said, hey, Stephen, he said, you want to join me tomorrow morning for prayer? And I thought, okay. I thought that I'd never heard of that in my life before. I said, okay, and I met him at 6 o'clock in the morning, and we prayed, and uh, I just, he introduced me into prayer. This is how I got into the Lord's Prayer. And so, uh, that began a great uh, growth in my life, that I was still in the outer court, 
but I was no longer way, way, way back there in the back. I began moving through the outer court, past the brazen altar, past the, um, that, that big area where, you know, in the outer court the, where they would wash their hands and everything. I began moving past all of that, those things representing salvation, basic salvation experience. I began moving past that. And then, and then just a few, few years after that, I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which, which was major. But I, I need to say this, I need to be very honest with Pentecostals. I need to be very um, unveiling of the Scriptures to those of you that maybe would be what we would call Spirit-filled, charismatic, Pentecostal, or in other words, you talk in tongues, and you believe in miracles, and you believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I need to say this very candidly. While being filled with the Spirit was a major event in my life, you have to understand that what we call Pentecost, because Pentecost is, is often associated with tongues, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost, and the, the, the early apostles spoke in tongues. Please understand that while the Pentecostal experience is a great blessing, and it dramatically affected my life, it's not the end. It's still, in many ways, still just the beginning. It's just the beginning. Why? Because, because Pentecost, which is a feast, in other words, it's called the Feast of Weeks. Uh, it lasts for uh, seven weeks, uh, 49 days plus one, and then you're at 50, which gives you Pentecost, which in the Greek means 50. So you have the three great feasts, as mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy, and those three great feasts are Passover, Pentecost, and then tabernacles. Passover representing the great feast that celebrates coming out of Egypt. In other words, it represents salvation, coming out of the world system, being saved, being born again. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for Passover. Hallelujah. But see, we thank God for salvation. And then you come into Pentecost. Pentecost representing what? the baptism in the Holy Spirit, tongues, the receiving of power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that you may be witnesses. See, you need power to be a witness. You don't need to be going out, running around, doing all this stuff unless you have power, or else it's an incomplete gospel message. So there is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And yes, tongues, the gifts of the Spirit are released with that. But that's still not the end. You need to keep going up Mount Zion. You need to keep climbing the mountain of God. And you need to come into the Feast of Tabernacles, which has always represented the Feast of Wholeness, the Feast of Ingathering. That was the time you had the best harvest. You had various harvests. You had the harvest up front that brought barley, and then you had a harvest later on that brought the wheat. But it's the end time harvest that brings the grapes, the joy, oh, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said that out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Hallelujah. And Jesus also turned the water into wine. 
Mm. But he saves his best miracles right for that end moment. Switches that water, turns it into wine. So you need to keep going into tabernacles. You need to go outer court, and we all we all start there. But you need to keep moving. Get into the holy place and begin to understand the altar of incense, which represents prayer. Begin to understand the lampstand, the seven anointings of the Spirit of the Lord. Begin to understand the show, table of showbread, the breaking of the bread, the Word of God. And you really, when you really start getting into the Holy of Holies, you'll start to get into the hidden manna. Woo, thank you, Lord Jesus. And what, what is the hidden manna? As mentioned in Revelation chapter 2, it's manna, it's scriptures, it's word that God feeds you that the multitudes don't even know about. It's the hidden manna. God will give you scriptures that are so sweet. God will give you scriptures that are so loaded with power and strength. Um, I, I got one today. I got one today that that so that so let me up. I had to run out of the house. <laughs> I, I had to run out of the house. It just God jolted me with the scripture of hidden manna today that I had seen that verse for years and never really caught the true fullness of the meaning of what it meant. And when it hit me, when God today told me what it meant, it jolted me. I had to literally run outside and lift my hands and begin to praise the Lord. Woo, thank you, Lord Jesus. You don't get fed like that in the art of court. You, you wouldn't even understand it. You wouldn't even understand it. I, I remember when I was in the outer court before I ever got filled with the Holy Spirit. Me, me and a bunch of guys, we, um, we lived together. We shared an apartment. Uh, excuse me, we, not an apartment. We shared a big house. We all rented a room. And we, we would talk about these uh, so-called faith preachers and make fun of them, laugh at them and stuff like that. And uh, you know, uh, you know, we just we we just didn't get it. But I remember after we were baptized in the Holy Spirit, I remember one day turning on the radio and I heard this man teach, and I'd heard I'd heard him before, and I'd just turn off the radio and think, what's this guy talking about? I just don't get it. But after I'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, and now the Spirit of Wisdom and Revelation. It's flowing into me. The eyes of my heart are being flooded with light. I turned on the radio one day and heard this guy teaching. The man, the prophet Kenneth Hagin. And when he started teaching, I understood everything he said. And I, I said, I said, dear Lord, what in the world was wrong with me? This guy's been on the radio for years. I'd go across the dial and hear him on the radio. And I just, I just didn't get anything out of it. Couldn't understand anything he said. But now, but now I understand every single thing he's saying. I, I said, Lord, what was wrong with me? What was wrong is that I didn't have that oil of the Spirit my, the, to anoint my spiritual ears, and, and the, the eyes of my heart were not illuminated. I, I couldn't get it. And I understand those that don't. I understand people that, that are in the body of Christ that criticize God's uh, men and women that are on the front lines uh, proclaiming truths, and you have, you have critics even in the church, and I understand they don't get it. Many of them will never get it while they're on this earth. They, won't, they will never figure it out until they get to heaven. And that's going to be quite an interesting experience. But you know what? You just have to keep moving towards truth. And as you move towards truth and you apply that truth to your life, everything gets easier. Everything gets sweeter. Woo! And that's what happens. You get more light. You get more light. And that's how you dispel darkness. That's how you deal with the enemy, by turning on the light. You keep getting more truth, applying that truth into your life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So you want, you want to keep moving. 
outer court, and then holy place, and then into the most holy place, the holy of holies. And you, you begin to have amazing encounters with the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant was covered with the lid of the mercy seat. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Mercy and compassion are very much closely linked together. You know, there's a very godly pastor in America. Uh, some years back, he cried out to the Lord with a very genuine request and said, Lord, give me your compassion. And it was, a, it was one of those very rare prayers. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It was one of those very rare prayers where immediately the Lord answered the prayer. He cried out, Lord, give me your compassion. And the Lord responded immediately and said, compassion belongs to me. That's very, very interesting. See, there is a lot of unsanctified mercy that takes place. People do things out of acts of, you know, wanting to be nice, wanting to show mercy, mainly because they think those people deserve it. But here's the thing with compassion. Here's the thing with mercy. Only God knows the hearts. And you may have people that cry and say, help us, help us, show us mercy, show us compassion. But only God is the one really that can look into a heart of a person and know whether or not they have really repented and whether they really mean it and now whether they're really ready to get right and straighten up. And God's the only one that, does, that knows that. And when God sees that it's genuine, and God sees that their requests are pure, then He can choose to release compassion. But see, from our natural perspective, we're like, God, please deliver them. Please help them. Please help them. Lord, Lord bail them out. Lord, show them mercy. But God doesn't always choose to show compassion on everybody. He didn't show compassion on Pharaoh. And God knew Pharaoh's heart is hard, and he's never going to change. And so God's not going to give him compassion. David cried out for his son Absalom after he had died, God, oh, that I would have died instead, and that you would have shown him compassion. And David could have cried all day. God was not showing that guy compassion. He was a rebel. He would have killed his own father and probably wouldn't have lost any sleep over it. And David's like, God, show him compassion. God's like, he's not getting it. And so God has this ability to look into the hearts of people. See, same thing with Saul. Saul made some big blunders, and he didn't get any mercy. I mean, Samuel shows up, says, because you've done this, it's over. You know, you've just gotten started, but you've messed it up so bad that God already says it's a wrap. You know, you're going to have some time, so enjoy it while it lasts, but it's, it's already been pronounced. Your kingship is finished. And he didn't get any mercy. But yet, here comes David. David makes blunders that were so big, they were, they were on the front page of newspapers internationally. But yet, God pours out compassion on David 
not only pours out compassion, but even pours it out so thick, he's even restored to his kingship that he lost. <laughs> Why? Lord, what's going on? Why? Why does some have it? Why does some not? What's going on? What's going on is only God can look into the heart of a person. And on the inside, only God can see when a person really surrenders and says, Oh God, oh God, Lord, I lay it all down. Oh God, have mercy. And only the Lord can make that judgment. No person on this planet can. Woo! Hallelujah. Th th this is why you can find mercy in the Holy of Holies. Mm. This is why the writer of, he of Hebrews said, said that the Lord would have us come boldly before the throne of grace. Well, that's going right into the Holy of Holies. Why? That you may obtain mercy in time of need. Oh, glory. Glory to God. Because if you're, in the, if you're in the holy place, trust me, if you're in there, everything's wide open. You can't hide anything from God in there. Not if you want to go into the Holy of Holies. You cannot go into the Holy of Holies and sweep stuff under the carpet. Um, the Lord says, hey, what's that lump under the carpet? We need to talk about that. <laughs> It'll come up. It'll come up sooner or later. It's just too, too much fire, too much light, too much glory. Too much healing, really. So much healing of your heart. So much healing of your soul. Praise God. It's a very beautiful place. But that's why. That's why you want to be in the Holy of Holies. Because then, if there's ever a time for warfare, if there's ever a time for a battle, you're just like, well, let's go. I've laid my life down for the Lord. And Lord, anything you say. Now, in many ways, we don't, we don't look at natural battles. We look at it from a spiritual perspective. But whatever it is, you say, Lord, I lay my life on the line for you. And uh, nothing's, uh, there's nothing I'm tangled up in. Lord, I'm ready to run for you. I'm ready to run for you. And so you want to work your way from the outer court into the holy place. And you really want to push. I, I'll be honest. It takes everything you've got, especially if you're in the Western church, because here in the West, we've got, we've got television with satellite TV. You could, you could watch literally 1,000 channels. I, I, think, I think there is a, one, one company that give you 500 channels, but I think out there there's like over 1,000 channels. You could just, you could watch TV for, for the rest of your life and just, uh, it's incredible. The options you have for luxury, the options you have for entertainment, the options you have for distraction are layered really, really deep. Really, really deep. So you've got a lot of things to um, really endeavor to fly above. And it will, it, it will, these things really pull on your flesh. So it will take everything you've got to get into the Holy of Holies and to develop a relationship where you're not just a visitor, you stay there. You stay there. But by the way, in the last days, the outer court's going to become a very dangerous place. And you, you, uh, this is a different teaching, but you don't want to be, um, you don't want to be there. You really want to work your way into the heart of God. Praise the Lord. The outer court is not a safe place in the last days. That's why a lot of believers will, um, uh, they, could, they could lose their life, they could be martyred. You, not, not that martyrdom is something that some are exempt from, some are actually called to that, but there's others that are not called to it, but they're going to end up losing their lives anyhow. Wrong place, wrong time. They didn't follow the wisdom of God, the instructions of God to leave when they should have left. I was reading the other day um, the story of Demas Shakarian who was the founder 
of the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship International. And he talks about how his father, whose name was Isaac, immigrated from Armenia to the USA. And what happened in Armenia uh, back in the 1800s was that there was a young, there was a young teenage boy, and he stood up in front of all of the churches of the area, and he prophesied nonstop for seven days and seven nights. He didn't eat any food, he didn't drink any water, and he never went to sleep for seven days and seven nights. And he said, a war is coming soon, and we're going to be invaded by the Turks, in other words, the Muslims. And they're going to come in, and if you're here, when they come, they're going to kill every person here. So you must begin to make preparations, you must begin to think about moving, and the place that God says to move is the land of the new destiny, it's the land that's known as America. Well, that prophetic message began to go through all the churches of Armenia. And these, these were already spirit-filled believers. They already understood prophecy. They already understood miracles. They already understood the power of God. Well, many heard it, and they, they took it to heart. Others heard it, and they're like, ah, I don't know about that. Hey, this guy's just a teenager. You know, who, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Well, uh, some years went by, and uh, after a few decades passed, 40 years had gone by. The teenage, uh, the teenage boy is now in his 50s, and he stands up, and he prophesies and says, the time has come. You must leave now. Those of you that have not left, others already have. Those of you who have not left, you must get out now. This is your last opportunity. And that's what Isaac Shakarian told this family. Pack everything up. We're leaving. We're moving to America. And they, uh, they, the Shakarians left, the prophet left, the faithful left, some didn't leave, they didn't really believe it, they were in the outer court, they doubted it, they couldn't really hear from God, they didn't know what to think of it, they stayed, and the Turks came in and slaughtered every Christian that was there that remained. That is validated, that's authentic, that's, that's in church history, you can go back and look it up. Those that left, that they were saved. Uh, those that stayed, they all, they all, um, they all got killed. Well, Isaac Shakarian shows up, and they arrive in, of all places, they they travel and end up landing in Los Angeles, and they hear about this church called the Azusa Street Church. Um, I think it had a title like the Apostolic something other, and so they go there. William Seymour is ministering, preaching, and they thought, oh, this is wonderful. This is the same thing we had back in the old world, uh, back in the old country. And so, same thing we had going on in Armenia. The Holy Spirit's moving the same way here. And he was, same Holy Spirit. And they jumped right in. They were all happy. The, and the uh, Shikarian settled there. Eventually, Demas is born. He's raised up, has an encounter with God, has a vision from God, and a great ministry was launched. But you know what? Outer court, dangerous place to be. It's a place that a lot of people, they just, you know, they're living in the flesh, and they, they're not really hearing from the Lord because they're too busy. Even if the clarion call is going out, they're just caught up. They're just caught, they love the Lord. They're saved. They're just caught up in all kinds of stuff. But you want to keep moving to the heart, into the heart of God and get really into the Holy of Holies. If you're in the Holy of Holies, you are abiding under the shadow of His wing, under the shelter of His wing. And that is the ultimate place of refuge, and you can't be touched, you can't be hurt, it, you, you cannot be afflicted with sickness, 
Uh, the enemy can't even touch your finances. You are literally under the wings of God. Woo! You are protected. That's where God wants you to be in the Holy of Holies. You need to be living in that place. Press into it with everything you got, and then you're ready for battle. You're just like, who cares about the grapes? God kicked, take, God's got my harvest covered. I'm not worried about the grapes. Let's go. And God's got your house covered. You're not, you're not worried about having to go back and get out of the plan of God because something's distracting you. You're ready to go. Hallelujah. And God blesses you, and God keeps adding to you because you're putting kingdom first. Father, I pray for your people that they push with all of their heart, that they seek you with all of their heart, and they're going to find you in the most amazing ways. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so like in Star Wars, I'm seeing like, um, you know, like you have, the, you have like the big ship, and if, if you're a small ship, and you got too close to the big ship, they could put you in a tractor beam, and then they could pull you in. Okay, so I see a holy big ship, and a holy tractor beam, the tractor beam of God, just grabbing you and pulling you in. But don't fight it. Go for it. Go with it. God's going to pull you in to a very deep, very close walk with Him. Be blessed. Amen. Be blessed. And go with that anointing. Let's take communion together today. Glory to Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The veil of the temple was rent, was torn from top to bottom, giving access into the most holy place, the holy of holies. Glory to God. You know, I think, I think something that would be disappointing for us is to gain heaven and get there and realize all the potential, all the amazing things that God wanted to do for us on the earth, but we never did it because we never gave Him enough attention. We never, we never got into the Word to discover our true destiny. We never walked close with God, and we never tapped into the amazing things that He had for us. Well, we will not be that group. We will be a group that accomplishes all that God calls us to do, and checks every single thing off of our life. You know, there's a lot of people today that have this popular thing, they want to do what's called a bucket list. And a bucket list is like, you know, sometimes it's like a hundred point bucket list. It's things that people want to do before they die. Maybe it's skydiving, maybe it's bungee jumping, maybe it's going to another country, maybe it's doing this. But a lot of times the bucket list really is a better title would be a selfish list. Things I want to do, and I'm going to do my thing because this is my life. Well, forget the bucket list. Just do God assignment for your life. If you do that, God throws in all kinds of icing on the cake. Oftentimes, even throws in your bucket list stuff. But do the God thing, you'll get everything else. Praise God. And if you don't get it, you're not supposed to have it anyhow. It wouldn't be good for you. Don't worry about it. Let it go. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. One man did a bungee jump, and it he was an older man. He just thought, I want to do it. I want to go bungee jumping. And he did it one time, and it so, like, jarred his insides. He was never the same after that. He probably should have left that off his bucket list. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the bread. We thank You for the juice. We consecrate it. This is now holy and set apart. This is now the body of Jesus, the fl His flesh and His blood. Father, we thank You. We know that You've got more for us. 
So help us to lean in. Lord, we surrender our ears to you, our, our eyes to you. We want, it, we want to hear from you. We want to see your glory. We want to move with you. You're doing so many amazing things right now, and we want to be in on it completely, submerged in you. So, Father, as we receive the body of Jesus, let there be impartation of your life. Let your word, O oh God, be the food that we eat. Yes, we enjoy natural food, but let this really be the food that we need, the spiritual vitamins and minerals that we need. Thank you, Father, and let us, let us feed upon it richly. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us now receive the body of Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory. Just, just the anointings coming down right now. God's touching minds. God's working with you. Helping you to discern thoughts that are outer court thoughts. And just saying, come on in. Come higher. Come higher. The Lord said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Why? Because he thinks high. He, th he thinks amazing things. He's wanting you to come up. He's wanting you to come up. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for compassion. And Father, thank you for freeing us from unsanctified compassion. Father, maybe we don't feel compassion because we're not supposed to feel it. Maybe, maybe Father, they're just not ready. Only you know. And when you know, suddenly we're touched with feelings of compassion and mercy. Maybe this cause now they're ready. So, Father, we want your heart. We want your attributes. But we have to have your heart in sync with the way that you want to do things. Or else we're just trying to pour out all the time, and you're not even asking us to do that. So, Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Father. We receive the blood of Jesus. Father, we confess sin. We receive forgiveness of sins. We give you praise that our sins are washed away, and you've cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Father. We rejoice in the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us receive together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Push your way into the heart of God. The way is open. The way is open. You'll have many things that will try to pull you to the left or right. But stay on the narrow path. What is the narrow path? The narrow path is that deep walk with God that takes you into the Holy of Holies. It is very, very narrow. It's very narrow. It is very straight. It takes a disciplined life, not, not just discipline of the flesh. This is not the kind of discipline that says, I'm going to go to the gym and work out. This is a totally different level of discipline. It takes a deep heart commitment. But the more you stay on that path, the brighter and brighter things get. And suddenly you realize that, you know, the house is nice, but it's, you know, it's not life. You know what? The grapes are nice, but it's not life. 
Family is nice, but family comes from the Lord. The Lord's the one that gave you your spouse, gave you your children. So our highest joy is in the Lord, and when we love Him, it makes us love our, 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 our wife, our, our children more. That it, even with a supernatural love, praise God, it makes everything better. Hallelujah. May you be found in the Holy of Holies, and you'll always be ready for any battle. You'll always be full of faith, ready to go. Father, bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Anointing is just coming down on your mind. Anointing is coming down on your mind. Some of you today is a um, is like a, a line of demarcation, which is a line that you're you cross it. Uh, you're you're going over, you're you're going over, and you're not going to go back. And so um, they had that at the Alamo. You know, draw the line. Who wants to stay and fight? Step over the line. Uh, if if you don't, if you want to leave, now's a good time to leave because we're greatly outnumbered and we're probably all going to die. Well, um, they all died, but they all crossed over. They felt there was a worthy cause. But you're going to cross over. You're going to die to self. You're going to find true life in Christ. The fruit of the spirit, greater manifestations of the of the gifts of the spirit, but but just a close walk with God. Praise God. Cross over today. Cross over today. Don't 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 play it. Um, don't don't be nominal. Be a, a nominal walk with God is actually a dangerous place to be. You you want to be you want to be going forward with the Lord. Praise the Lord. Move forward with the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I want to remind you again, even in even in what we would call spirit-filled circles. Don't think that just because somebody says they're Pentecostal means somehow just because they speak in tongues means they're deep. Again, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a major event in a person's life. You need to be saved, the greatest thing in your life. You need to be water baptized, okay? And then you need to be filled with the Spirit and speak in other tongues. But those things are still just beginning elementary truths. You must go on through tabernacles. You must go on to Zion. Keep moving. Keep moving. The path is right before you. Thank you for watching. I'll see you back next time. Bye-bye.